Let's pray together. Father God, in the quiet beauty of this morning, even as we sing these words together, God, we are reminded of our desperate need before you. And if we're not reminded of that, God, would you remind us? God, that we are desperate before you. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. And God, I I pray that as we look at these words so ancient, I pray that they would continue to speak, even as Paul says they will, through your spirit at work within us. Help us to hear. Help me to hear and to be changed. Help uh, me to only say the words that need to be said. Um, And God, I pray that each of us would hear the things that we need to hear together in this space this morning, that your Holy Spirit would make that possible. And we pray these things for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is good to live in the 21st century, isn't it? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm being completely honest. It is, it is good to live in the 21st century. I mean, to, to think about how far we human beings have come, right? We've got a lot going on. I mean, can you believe that, that scientists and everybody else used to think the world was flat and the center of the universe? And that there was a whole branch of science dedicated to trying to turn lead into gold. Or, or even that people, when they, when they saw the first computers, they laughed. That'll never catch on, right? That was, that was the response. Uh, can you believe that the earliest physicians uh, were convinced that it was the liver that circulated the blood and not the heart? Or, or, or that it took all the way into the mid-1800s for doctors to start washing their hands before surgery? And it gets worse. Much, much worse. I mean, can you believe that some of our grandparents used to think that African Americans needed their own drinking fountain? Or that some of our our great-greats actually owned slaves. Can can you believe the way that some of our ancestors treated women or children or Jews or basically anybody who was different from them? While we have a long ways to go, certainly, it is good to live in the 21st century. And yet, every time I look at the past in that way, I, I, I can't help but wonder, what are our kids going to look back at us and just cringe? I mean, what are, what are our great-great-grandkids going to look at you and me, right? Us in this place, our generation, and just laugh at us? What are, what are the history books going to say 500 years from now? I mean, don't you wonder? I mean, what are the things that we take pride in? Man, we are smart. We have got it figured out. We, we know the best way to live. Everything, right? We, we know it all. What are those things that history will soon discover are just about as dumb as trying to turn lead into gold or as shameful as mistreating another human being based on the color of their skin? Don't you wonder? Because every one of those things in its day, in its place, was considered smart intelligent, accepted by the masses as the way things ought to be, and every generation, including ours, has been convinced that they knew the best way to live. I mean, thank goodness we finally do, right? Shoo! I mean, doesn't it feel good to know everything? 
I mean, you can just sit in that for a moment. It just, we, 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 we believe that, don't we? That we finally got it figured out. Now, the last thing I want here is to sound anti-progress or, or anti-intellectual. In fact, for, for some of you, maybe one of the reasons you're not a Christian is because your perception of Christians, I mean, we, we sort of get pigeonholed into being an unthinking people. And I think we can probably all agree that there are a lot of morons out there, right? Who use faith as a disguise for stupidity, right? I mean, we, we, see, that, we see that all the time. And the perception then is that all of us, that we believers, uh, we're, we're a people who, who take faith and discard reason, right? That we ignore history and uh, despise science. But that, that can't be who we are. I mean, Christians started the first universities and hospitals, Early Christian scientists led to some of the most massive discoveries and the early founders and leaders and people participating in the civil rights movements were, were many of them, Christians. We, we're not anti-wisdom or anti-progress. We can't be. And yet even just one simple glance at history makes me long for something more to build my life upon. Something more, right, than just whatever we today in America, 21st century, happen to believe now in this moment in 2015. Because we've been wrong before, a few times. As brilliant as we are, as far as we've come, I want something that I can stand on with confidence. More, more than just knowledge, we need wisdom. True wisdom, not just self-help or popular opinion or whatever fads happen to be in vogue. And Paul tells us, there is a wisdom we know nothing about. Now, if you're here with us last week, in fact, these, these two weeks kind of go together. In fact, Paul is really the same argument. This is the, the other side of the exact same coin that he was discussing last week. So last week we talked about, uh, well, Paul called it God's foolishness, essentially. That, that from every human angle, when you look at the cross, it, it's ridiculous, right? That, that God would, would suffer, that, that that's how it, we perceive it. But Paul doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to embrace a wisdom that runs deeper than the shallow waters of cultural fads, a, a knowing that, that stands firmer than the, the shifting sands of whatever we happen to believe in the moment. A wisdom that apart from God apart from his work, apart from his intervention, apart from his self-revelation, a wisdom that we know nothing about. For, for true wisdom is upside down. True wisdom is freely given. And true wisdom is very easily discarded. First, true wisdom is upside down. Now, we've got to remember where, where we're at, right? These, these texts that we look at week after week, they're not... They don't exist in a vacuum, right? Paul is writing a real letter to, to real people connected to a, a real argument that he's trying to communicate uh, in his letter. And 1 Corinthians, as we've been saying, is written to a people who thought they'd arrived, right? Who, who had it all figured out. They're obsessed with what they believed was, was wisdom, okay? Honestly, they're, they're, they're a lot like us in many ways. And they're still stuck trying to impress everyone around them, right? They're boasting. And last week, Paul said that there's only one thing. If you're a Christian, there's only one thing you can boast in. And that's Jesus, and Jesus makes, a, makes us all look like fools, right? Because that's the cross. God on a cross, a crucified Messiah. 
And yet it is the wisdom of God, Paul says. It is completely upside down. But it's the only way that we can be rescued. And so Paul here, he's not down on wisdom. He's just down on the wisdom of thinking we have it all figured out. And and so as we look this morning, uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Let me read again beginning in verse 6. Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Okay, he's contrasting what he talked about last week, right? This, this foolishness or this, this wisdom that we, we think we have. He says, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not getting rid of wisdom. I do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay, so two kinds of wisdom. I don't don't think that should surprise us in particular. There there is, first of all, the the, the wisdom of today, and it is temporary, ever-changing, and sometimes flat-out wrong, right? Even even though in the moment we're all convinced that we've got to figure it out, right? That it's worth building a life upon. And then Paul says there's this secret or hidden wisdom. And it's not, he's not saying that God's been sneaky, right? It's kind of a backdoor way of doing his thing. That's not it at all. He's, he's saying that it was not fully and completely revealed until the arrival of Jesus, right? That that's, that's where it was manifest most clearly. And yet, even still, people missed it. In fact, most of them, and they even killed Jesus for it. And so Paul is saying if they had recognized true wisdom, they would not have crucified Jesus, But Jesus and this wisdom that comes with him is completely upside down. And so, of course, they didn't recognize him. Everything they expected in a Messiah, everything they wanted from a God, and everything is upside down with Jesus. I mean, just just think about it, right? Think about some of the things he said, some of the things he did. I mean, for example, Jesus said that the first will be last and the last will be first. He said that the poor will be made rich and the rich will be made poor, that that those who are exalted will be despised and those who are despised will be exalted. He did bizarre things like sort of casting aside the the religious leaders of that day and and instead hanging out with with sinners. He he said the only way to save your life is to lose it. That the path to freedom is submission, the path to joy is selflessness, the path to life is is a cross. Instead of self-inflated wisdom, sacrifice. Instead of overthrowing the Romans, he's abused by them. And when it couldn't possibly get any more upside down, God actually dies for his enemies. True wisdom, wisdom from God, wisdom centered on this person named Jesus, is absolutely upside down. And as I thought about this week, I'd wonder to myself, for, for me and for, for all of us, I mean, when is the last time you or I, we've faced a decision, big or small, it doesn't really matter, you know, faced a decision and thought to yourself, what's the upside down thing for me to do here? Like, like what's, what's the backwards thing, right? Because that's, that's this kingdom, right? We are citizens. If you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, we are citizens of this new inbreaking kingdom. And if we want a wisdom that goes further than the flavor of the day, 
then maybe that's a question we need to start asking. Kind of reminds me of a, of a Seinfeld. Truth be told, everything reminds me of a Seinfeld. Uh, but there, there's one in particular, I know this dates me, so sorry about that, but uh, there's one in particular where, where George, pathetic loser George, he's fed up with his life. Uh, and so he decides that he's going to do the opposite. And I feel like in so many ways, well, maybe not in so many ways, in enough ways that characterizes what we're talking about. Let's, let's take a look. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's often wrong. <laughs> Everyone. Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. <laughs> I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. <laughs> Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, George, you know, that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. All right, so there's a glimpse of the kingdom of God, right? Um, bear with me here. Uh, if, if, do you hear what Jerry said, right? Jerry, the, the source of infinite wisdom, right? Uh, if every impulse you have is wrong, then the opposite has got to be right. And obviously it's exa exaggerated. Of course it is ridiculous. And that, though, it's a glimpse of this, this upside-down world that, that God has now put us in as citizens of his, of his kingdom. That everything, even though it seems backwards, everything is flipped on its head. Not chicken salad instead of tuna, but ideals that re reflect his kingdom rather than my own. Things that, that you and I wouldn't ever do normally, naturally apart from knowing and loving and being rescued by a God like this. I mean, just think about that, right? I mean, there's endless examples of how Jesus flips it on its head for, for all of us. I mean, for example, in our, in our culture, it is, it is upside down to live below your means so that you can be generous. It's upside down to invest in community, to, to serve on a, on a weekly basis. It's, it's upside down to, to invest in your neighbors or to get to know them or to share your faith with somebody. It's, it's upside down for us as a church to start a campus in Shawnee rather than letting things just get easier here. It's, it's upside down to, to be anything but cutthroat at work. Or kids, it is upside down for you to play with the kid that nobody else likes on the playground. It, it is upside down in a world like ours, fast-paced as it is to, to eat meals together or to begin your day in prayer or to actually believe, even just for a moment, that his ways might really be better than mine. And if true wisdom is upside down, then that really is a wisdom that apart from God, apart from Jesus at work within us, that is a wisdom we know nothing about. He has got to give it to us.
And he does. True wisdom is freely given. That's the next thing we see here. Verse 10 continues. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, everybody got that? Right? It's so easy to follow everything that Paul is trying to say there. I mean, if you, if you feel lost, you're, you're not alone. I mean, Paul, Paul is brilliant, and even philosophically, he... He's not messing around as he, as he brings us in to this spot here. Essentially what he's saying is that because everything's upside down with Jesus, uh, there is a wisdom. It's a wisdom we know nothing about, but we can know something about it because he's revealed it to us. Because he, he has given us of his spirit. You see, for example, God is not exactly like us humans. Hopefully you're not surprised by that, right? I mean, he made us in... in his image, right? And so there's some similarity. Uh, but we're, we're on slightly different planes, right, than the, the creator uh, of everything. And wisdom belongs to him, but, but how do we get to know him? I mean, that, that, that's kind of the ultimate question. It doesn't matter what religion or worldview you're in. Like, how can we as humans actually get to know this being who exists outside of us, outside of the created order, out, outside of time and all of that? How, how, how can we possibly get to know him? I mean, for, for example, if I wanted to get to know a rock, it'd be pretty easy, right? You just pick it up and look at it, right? The rock, this doesn't care. You can do whatever you want with the rock, and it's, it's fine. You can get to know that rock. And if you want to get to know an animal, it's a little bit harder, isn't it? Um, so imagine if you wanted to get to know an ostrich, you'd have to, you know, kind of coax it into being your friend, follow it around a little bit, watch it from a distance, all those kinds of things. But you could, you could do it. Now, if you want to get to know another human, that's even harder, isn't it? Uh, because they have to let you in. Right? They, they can decide what they want to share about themselves, what they don't, how they want to be perceived, all of that. It gets more and more difficult. The more complex the being, the more difficult it becomes, and the more they actually have to be willing to be known. So are, are you following this so far? Because if, if there's a God who is infinitely more complex, infinitely above me, I mean, if I am dependent on another human being to let me in, how much more am I dependent on God to set the stage for the relationship? How much more am I dependent on him to actually initiate so that, so that he could make himself known for me? But even so, how is it possible for a being so much greater than me to be known? I mean, can a grasshopper enter into a relationship with a human? But what Paul is driving at here, I mean, it's truly, it's one of the great miracles that we have in Jesus Christ. That, that for those of us who, who believe in, in, in Christ, right, who follow him, who've given our lives to him, we have God's spirit within us. His Holy Spirit, that's what we often refer, refer to him as. And you know, I know this is a, a little bit confusing, but what Paul is saying that there is, okay, so that we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit fully knows God, and he's within us, and he reveals to our spirit who God is. And I know that's, 
entirely perplexing, right? Mystical and mysterious. And yet it is amazing the lengths to which God, the creator of everything, the lengths that he has gone to make himself known to us. So that, as, as Paul says, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, you cannot know God without God. And you cannot know God unless God initiates. And that is why, apart from God, we cannot know true wisdom. Only God knows how best the world should work, right? He, he made us. He made our reality. He, he knows past, present, and future beyond what, what we can even imagine. If, I mean, we think, we think we know what is best, but if God is real, which I know for some of you is probably a stretch, but if he's real, then he has to know better. And he could ignore us to fend for ourselves because we've rejected him after all. I mean, he could allow us to just sort of wallow in our ignorance and our shame. But instead, he gives of himself freely. Well, what's the right response to a gift freely given? Now, kids, I'm sure some of you uh, probably had a conversation with your parents at some point over Christmas on how to respond to the terrible gift, you know, from Aunt So-and-So, or, you know, you got the, uh, the, the standard, you know, package of underwear or socks. I mean, who, who wants that for Christmas, right? Or maybe, maybe you got the same Elsa doll you already have, or the same Lego set or whatever. And I mean, I got to tell you, one of the great pleasures at Christmas time is watching a kid open the present that they want nothing to do with, right? I mean, it's because it's, they just can't hide it. You can coach them however you want, but everybody knows that was the worst gift ever. Um, but with this... And with what Paul is saying, I mean, this is a gift that everybody wants and no one has too much of. Wisdom. And we may not all agree on the path to get there, right? But every one of us here, uh, despite all of our attempts, we, we know deep down that we are not nearly as smart as we think we are. That, that we, don't, we don't have as much figured out as we like to pretend. We all need Wisdom. And if this is what God offers, if it's real, everyone wants it. And the right response is to receive it. And that's what we do with gifts. And to, to let God into your life, to, to let him define your reality, to, to let him give you something worth standing on. And we, we receive gifts with gratitude and humility, right? I mean, what, else, what other response is there in, in that moment? And that, that's really important, this idea of gratitude and humility, because sadly, uh, plenty of Christians over the centuries have used this exact passage as an excuse to feel superior to other people. Because, you know, we've got God, and so we've got it all figured out, and we're so spiritual, and yada, yada, yada. Or even take verse 15 completely out of context. Let me read verse 15. Paul says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And, and so ripped out of context, sort of this idea, you know, judge me, I dare you, I'm spiritual, I've got it figured out, I've got God's spirit in me, so, you know, lay off kind of thing. But, I mean, this is, this is I mean, it's so ridiculous, right? We, we're only, what, three weeks into 1 Corinthians, and hopefully, if you've been here, you know, that is not what Paul's saying. I mean, if anything, Paul is saying, you, you, you think you're spiritual? I mean, you guys think you're so smart, right? Nothing you have is without God's spirit at work in you. 
You, you can take credit. That's what this is what Paul said. You can take credit for none of it. It is all his work in your life. I mean, remember what he said last week? That God chose what is foolish, what is weak, and what is low. There's a wisdom you and I, we know nothing about. It cannot be earned or manipulated, and it cannot be used to abuse others. It is freely given by the Spirit of God. Yet, it's also really easy to discard. To just continue thinking that I've, I've got this. Look what he says in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person, meaning the one without the Spirit, the one apart from Jesus, doesn't want this. And we're right back where we started last week, right? That these things, the cross, Jesus, spiritual things, it's, just, it's foolishness. To those who are perishing, Paul had said. And apart from God's Spirit, apart from God's Spirit at work in you, we cannot know what God is up to. And I realize that if you're if you're not a Christian, that probably sounds pretty offensive. Doesn't it? I mean, just to think that, because we take pride in our intellect and our, our ability to, to reason and figure things out. And so, I mean, you might want to respond like, what, Paul, what do, you, what do you mean I can't understand this? But I think, I think what he's getting at is that we, we can't just understand things that we've discarded. And we cannot understand the things of God without God's, God is too high above us. Maybe if you're a Christian, you hear words like this. Maybe, maybe you feel the tug to, to share your faith or to invite um, somebody to church sometime. And maybe, maybe you hear these words and it discourages you, right? Imagine this, this spiritual barrier there that you, you can't possibly, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you cannot argue them into believing, right? Uh, you can't live a good enough life or, or have all the right words that, you know, when somebody sees it there, well, they've just got to believe, right? Maybe, maybe you find that discouraging, I hope on the other side, though, actually, I hope you find these words really encouraging. Because what Paul is meaning is that God's Spirit is always at work, and it's, it's not about you or me. And yeah, we've got to be faithful, right, in sharing our faith and inviting people to church and letting people see into to who we are, but ultimately, it's God's Spirit who has to work. And so the lost causes in your life, you know, the people that you think, I mean, there's no way, you know, right? They're not going to touch Jesus with a 10-foot pole, right? We all have those people. All it takes is God's spirit. That's it. I mean, look how, look how Paul ends this section in verse 16. He's quoting Isaiah in this first part. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? I, I love that. I mean, the answer, it's obvious, right? Nobody. Nobody teaches God. Nobody gives God tips on how to, how to be wise. But we, Paul says, you and me who believe we have the mind of Christ. What an amazing concept. I mean, don't, don't miss that. If you are a Christian, the Spirit of God is alive in you and your mind is His. The mind you have is Christ's. And if, if that's true, and here's where I want us to end this morning. 
How do we live into that, right? How do we live out the mind of Christ within us? The, the Spirit of God uh, flowing through us, this, this, this wisdom, how, how do we do that? I mean, obviously, we've been talking about God's part, and it's largely his, his role. Um, and yet you and I have a role to play as well. I think, there's, I think there's three things that jump out at me here. First, to live out the mind of Christ, you've got to first embrace it. I mean, you just got to start there. And I, I, I know you have your doubts, and probably really good doubts. I have my doubts, right? And, and if you don't believe, you probably have really good reasons to believe. But I know at the same time, if, you're, if, that's, if that's you, how easy it is to come to matters of faith and think, once I understand, then maybe I'll believe. Now, the trouble is, that's just it's upside down from the kind of wisdom that Jesus offers. And for, for example, St. Augustine in the 4th century, I love this. So long ago, he said, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand so that you may believe, but seek to believe so that you may understand. Start there. And that means start with Jesus. I mean, not, not with all your questions. And I... I'm sure you have lots of questions, and they're probably really good questions, but you've got to start with Jesus because that's what this story is all about, right? You've got to begin there. And so look at, look at the Gospels. What did, what did the early Christians believe about him? Did he actually maybe really come back from the dead? Was he who he claimed to be? You, you, you've got to begin there. And if belief comes, understanding will follow. Not perfectly. Any, any Christian in here will tell you, not perfectly, far from it, right? I wish. But enough. Faith is the beginning of understanding. Second, cultivate it. This is specifically for those of us who, who do believe, who are, are Christians, but you still have to cultivate it. So this is a gift, right? We have God's spirit within us, and we're given this, this new mind, this new way of seeing the world, and yet we've got to cultivate it, right? Because the old us so quickly takes over, and we're, we're just so forgetful, aren't we? And so we've got to remind ourselves that these things are, are true of us, that this is who we now are, and we remind ourselves by, by reading our Bible daily, by praying, by spending time in solitude as well as in, in community going to church, all of these things play into that to remind us. And we also, we also cultivate the mind of Christ by, by learning to see the world as he sees it. In other words, everything is spiritual. There's no sacred, secular dichotomy. That's a ridiculous idea. If you have the mind of Christ, everything matters. Everything is significant. Everything counts. There, there is no sacred and secular. And that means, for example, like with your, your work, whether you get paid for it or not, your, your work, you have as, as much ability to worship in whatever you do to worship this God who made you as much as I do standing up here. Because you have, you have his mind and you take him with you everywhere you go, everything you touch, everything you see. It's all sacred. And to cultivate this, we, we acknowledge daily that we don't have it all figured out. And we reject the continual notion that springs up in our hearts, in my heart, that finally our culture's arrived. That finally we know how life works best. And we admit God's kingdom is upside down. And we are desperate for his wisdom. And if you're, if you're looking for a next step, you know, something... 
maybe simple, maybe not so simple to do this week in response to this. Um, whether you're a Christian or not, do something upside down. Big or small. Something, something that just doesn't make sense unless Jesus is God. Unless he's actually conquered the grave and called you his own. Do something, do something upside down. And finally, third here, celebrate it. We've got to celebrate it. We've got to celebrate it often. Um, as much as possible, that this, this is true, that this is what God has done. Because I gotta tell you where my depraved mind goes when I think about this, okay? Uh, my first thought, right, even working on this, thinking through this, this sermon and all of this, and my first thought for me personally is, yeah, but what if I miss out on something, right? Anybody, anybody else, right? I mean, if I do this, if I start picking things that are, that are upside down and start allowing him to define all of my reality, what if, what if I miss something that might have been better? keep clinging on to the fact that I might, might possibly be smarter than God. But did you catch what Paul said in verse 7? Here's where I, I want to end. I, I love this. this. This surprised me in verse 7. He said, this, this secret and hidden wisdom is for our glory. Do you see that? I mean, if you're familiar with your Bible, right, you read a lot about things being for, for God's glory, and ultimately all things are for God's glory, and yet this, this wisdom, this, this understanding, this stuff that's upside down that we don't understand, that it's actually it's for our glory, for our benefit, for our joy, for our, our life, for everything. And even, even as he continues that in verse, verse 9, did you see that? That we can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Sure, it's hard. And I know we think we're super smart without him. And every generation that's gone before us has been convinced that finally, yes, we know the best way for us to live. But there, there is a wisdom that we know nothing about. And Jesus Christ came to this earth, gave his life, rose again so that we could actually know God and be known by God. That we could even know each other, know ourselves, and know our world. That he paid the ultimate penalty so that we could embrace this new kind of wisdom, this new kind of seeing, this new kind of understanding, all that he's up, up to, and completely flip our lives upside down. Which is why, and it only makes sense in this context, why Paul said when he began this argument in verse 18 of chapter 1, why he said so, so many verses earlier, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you to confirm these words in our hearts. When, when, when we hear them, even when I, when I speak them, there's so much that rises up within me that says, yeah, but, but what if? Or, or maybe, maybe I'm missing out. Or God, I, I so quickly want to jump back to business as usual. So Holy Spirit, we, we believe and we know, I'm convinced that we are desperate for you to make these things real and true in our hearts. I pray that you would do that. And Holy Spirit, I, I pray that if there's anything I've said that's been distracting or unhelpful, God, I pray that we'd forget those words quickly and that we would, we would hear your voice as you continue to shine light on your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would confirm these things in us that we would embrace it, that we would cultivate it, and that we would celebrate this incredible gift that we have your mind within us, your spirit, 
your wisdom. Amen.